Stage Time is the professional hub for the performing arts and is a growing community of 4,000 plus opera singers and classical musicians, arts administrators, agents, production staff, and beyond. Set up a launch-ready portfolio in under 10 minutes. A growing list of over 100 arts organizations accepts a Stage Time profile in lieu of a website URL. Unlike a static website, StageTime allows you to connect with collaborators, showcase your skills, source or be sourced as the right talent, and center your creative practice. StageTime is available on any web browser or on the App Store and on Google Play. Search StageTime to stay connected to colleagues, mentors, students, and friends from anywhere in the world. The arts industry is waiting for you on StageTime. Welcome to season four of My So-Called Opera Life, a podcast for opera singers by opera singers. After three seasons of incredible conversations, the podcast has grown and changed much like ourselves. We're still on a mission to connect, inform, inspire, and empower musicians at all levels and stages of their career. Because as we continue to hear from you and watch the opera industry struggle to change and grow, community, connection, and transparency are as important as ever. We're here to spill the tea on the inner workings of the opera life, to celebrate the artists who unapologetically create amazing, non-traditional paths for themselves, and to inspire each other to sing freely, make art truthfully, and to work fearlessly for a more equitable industry. I'm Elise. And I'm Marcel. And we're two sopranos currently living our best so-called opera lives. We are recording in a new studio with new mics. It's very exciting. Super exciting. The mics are beautiful. The space is beautiful. This is Elise's like project that she's been working on for a while, getting this space together for creators in the Philadelphia area. And so nice to have an upgrade to the podcast. I know. <laughs> we should probably thank John Carpinetta for setting this up and Jeff Carpinetta. Very exciting and grateful to have this equipment that's available for for us and for other podcasters and other content creators. So yeah. Absolutely. And it sounds so good. <laughs> I was talking to John about the sound and asking him if he thinks like our audience will be able to tell the difference. And he was immediately just like, duh, like, yes, of course. Yes. Of course. Yes. Um, if you can hear a difference, cannot hear a difference, let us know. <laughs> if you cannot, it's okay. But if you can, and you're noticing that it's nice, then that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's nice four seasons in to like get the upgrade. And yeah. I mean, I feel like we've been kind of slowly working our way towards this for yes. a while, like to listen to some of our first episodes. And yeah, just growth is good. It's it's really fun to see how far we've come. Yeah. <laughs> so we're excited to introduce our next interview. Our next episode is with Katrina Thurman. She is a Philly-based operatic soprano who also started a company called EPOP, East Passyunk Opera Project. East Passyunk is an area in Philadelphia where she uh, lives. And I'm not sure if this was started in the pandemic, the company, or just before the pandemic, but it really basically took off during that time and was really a, a great project to have for Katrina. And she talks about in the episode how she used her connections, people she knows, singers and 
organizations as well. One of the things I thought that was really cool that I remember that stuck out to me is there's some kind of like Opera Philadelphia beer that she like had at East Passing. It was like some kind of like collaboration of all these businesses. So, you know, I think what's really great about what she's doing is not only is she, you know, starting and a company that's, you know, promoting classical music in the area and she does, they do musical theater and stuff. So promoting live music, but also connecting to local businesses and yeah, connecting to the community. Yeah. Yeah. It's really something I think that can be a little scary, you know, like, especially like if you're an opera singer, you feel kind of out of your element maybe, but it sounds like she's had a lot of support and encouragement from business minded people. Yeah. I think when we think about partnerships with opera, it's really hard to think outside of the box because I think, you know, at least for myself, I'll speak for myself. Like the expectation is that people are going to be like, Oh, opera, like kind of turn their nose up at it. And so I think a lot of us can make assumptions about who would want to partner with an opera company because we just make the assumption that they're not going to like it because it's opera where a lot of businesses are also looking for new and different ways to market their products and connect with different people in their neighborhood too. And I just love hearing about people's process. So it was really cool to listen to Katrina talk about, you know, the kind of the genesis of EPOP and then the process she's gone through to kind of grow it over the past few years. And I think it's a needed thing in Philly because we kind of live in this weird space in Philadelphia with classical music or at least when I first moved here 11 years ago, it was kind of you either had Opera Philadelphia, which is the Opera America company, or you had like the community opera companies and some small vanity companies that exist. But there really wasn't anything in the middle for, you know, the young professional opera singers who are starting to get going and need, you know, companies who are doing experimental things and different things and but also have like a legitimate standing in the classical music community. Most of the companies that exist in that space right now are pretty insular and kind of just higher amongst themselves. So I'm always excited to see new companies in this middle space kind of, you know, start up and offer opportunities to the musicians in the community because there's a lot of us here in Philly. (laughs) Totally. Well said, well said. So besides the opera company, EPOP, we also talk with Katrina about her singing career projects, like and collaborations that she was a part of that she really excited her. We talk about some of her other correlating projects and career paths and just life as as an opera singer in her shoes. So there's a lot of little, there's a lot of information I think packed into here, a lot of ideas about what's possible and to you know, visit Katrina's website and, and, and hear the projects that she's part of and see who she's collaborating with. It's really exciting and cool to see how down to earth and just kind of easy she makes it seem. She's I very know. humble about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can forget that like the people ahead of us on this career path are human too. Yeah. <laughs> they don't realize like, <laughs> you know, like, and I think that's the thing we found over all of our interviews to date. Like I remember talking to Zach James, you know, and right. he was really upfront about like, yeah, like those anxieties that I had as a young singer that you guys are struggling with, I still have them all right. the time. And right. so like, we're all, you know, we're all in the same ocean. We might be in different types of boats, right? you know, uh, but we're all in the same ocean of insecurity. <laughs> exactly. That's, they don't realize when I said that I meant they, they don't like realize that we 
or other younger singers look and say, oh my gosh, wow. You know, and they're like, yeah, what? I'm looking over there and I'm saying, wow, over there, you know? Right, right, right. So, well, we hope you enjoy this episode. We love talking with Katrina and uh, we hope you do too. All right, Katrina, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. We're so excited to talk to you, to another Philly singer, which is amazing. Yeah. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do? Yes. So, yeah, I, my name is Katrina Thurman, and I am I am a person. I am an opera singer. <laughs> I grew up in Oklahoma, and I was a big fan of singing around the house and making up songs for my mom and having no idea how to write them down or learn them. So, yeah, I slowly got into piano lessons in junior high and choir and and music and I didn't have a big classical influence but kind of over time and we could talk more about that but that kind of found its way into my life and eventually turned into becoming an opera singer <laughs> yeah I moved to Cincinnati for grad school excuse me I did undergrad in Oklahoma mm-hmm. grad school in Cincinnati and then after that it was the New York track and I became a Philadelphian already 10 years ago now just because New York was uh, getting to be too much and Philly's much nicer place to build a life and have a little money left over. And, you know, yeah. How did you find out about, I mean, you know, what, like what Philly is, but did you know other singers here or? Yeah, it was a little bit of that. So yeah, I did have some singer friends that lived here that even several years before I moved down, I kind of talked to them about what what life was like. But then my voice teacher, he grew up in Bucks County. And so he and I started working together in 07. We still work together, even though he's in Europe now leading a conservatory. But, you know, I would kind of talk to him about how I was fed up with New York. And we were, not only was he my teacher, we were, we're close in age, though he was a good friend. We met back when he was singing as well. And he was like, why don't you just, you know, like I'd come down and see him in Philly, take lessons, stay a weekend. And one time he was like, you're so unhappy. Why don't you try Philly? (laughs) So that kind of rang true for me at that point in my life. I think I was ready to give it a shot. And I also kind of put out some feelers out to the five or six singer pianist friends I knew and said, I'm thinking of coming here for the summer. I have a break between two gigs. That's like two, two and a half months long do you know of like any leads of where I might be able to rent a room or something for that time? And then maybe I'd temp or something. And a pianist friend that I just worked with got back to me and was like, I just got a job in Berlin. My house is empty. I, I, it's a three bedroom house. I'm trying to get two or three people to rent. I'm sorry, it's a four bedroom house. And she told me what the rent would be if it was like me and just one other person. And I was like, that's hilarious in the most wonderful way. Right, right. You know, so I, I popped down here. I easily subletted my place in New York because I was in Washington Heights. It was always a place people wanted to sublet. Popped down here for a couple months. And then as those months were coming to an end, you know, I that summer, I just kind of like made inroads with the friends that I had. I, I tempt. I, you know, just enjoyed being in a house that had a little yard that I could tend. And um, as that time was coming to a close, I just was in the shower one morning and was like, I don't want to go back to New York. Yeah. And I, I contacted the friend who owned the house. I was living in here in Philly. She was like, keep staying. If you're happy with the roommate there, y'all stay together, do it. And uh, I easily continued to sublet my place in New York and then just never went back. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, that's, that's awesome. great. Yeah. It really is a it really is a great city that's so easy to get to New York. And some singers even tell me like they don't even they just like they don't even really mention that they live in Philly. And like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's true. Especially if you need to like get in on that. Like if you're on that side of things where you just need to have the opportunities, and there are a lot in New York. And sometimes folks who have opportunities to give in New York, they they're not going to pay for your transportation or your housing or this or that. So it's like. Yeah, I'm just right outside the city. It's not a problem for me to come in. Right, right. So yeah. like, yeah, you maybe you don't make a lot of money on the gig, but you get the experience. So I certainly understand that way of thinking. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, and if you're like me and Elise, we have like folks that we've just like cultivated who are like, oh, yeah, you can definitely crash on our couch if that comes up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're like, awesome. It's very nice. Yeah. Yeah. I have done that <laughs> and helped with that, help people. Yeah. 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 No, same. I've definitely had friends come into Philly to audition from like across the country and been like, oh, I have to stay somewhere in Philly for this audition. I'm like, come, I have a guest room. Come stay with me. Yeah. Like, I know, I know the struggle. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So I'm very excited to talk to you. Not only are you like a, you know, active singer, which is amazing. And we of course want to hear about that, but we love hearing about the other facets of careers and how you make it your own. And the two things that I know learned about you from online is that you are director of marketing and community engagement with ADA. And you also started, do you call it an opera company or is it, well, you started EPOP. So right. I call it an arts organization because yeah, EPOP or East Pass Young Opera Projects, very specific name, very specific neighborhood. Uh, although we do perform in various locations around Philadelphia, we don't just perform only in this little neighborhood but yeah, yeah. So I, I, I also take part in those two artistic pursuits besides singing and so how did epop begin it's it it's fairly new right it is actually weird but believe it or not it's kind of surprising we're coming up on our third anniversary in december so it feels still like i'm still figuring out even how not only me, but the people who, you know, are part of it and kind of our, our creative advisor team. It's like we're still kind of trying to come to an understanding of what it is and what we want it to be. It's, and I guess all organizations kind of go through that modulation always on some level. So how EPOP came to be is that ever since I got together with my husband, Bob, he's always been, he's an idea guy, right? I mean, he works in strategy. So he is a big ideas man. And he was always saying, you know, you seem to know every, like so many people that come to work with Opera Philadelphia. You're like, oh, I've worked with them or I know them or they're, you know, they're on ADA artist management's roster, which I'm not only managed by ADA artist management, but like you said, I do work as their director of marketing. And so he would just mention you, Opera Delaware, Opera Philadelphia, you know, all these folks. What if we could find a way to like, you know, if they're in town already rehearsing for a month doing a show and they have free time, like, could they do a house concert or come do something in the neighborhood? Like, so we could, like, just let people get up close to these people who are amazing. They have wonderful voices. How great would it be? And this is not a new concept by any means. It was for my, in a way, for my husband, just the idea. But it's something people have done elsewhere. It's just something we thought we'd try to do, too. And of course, there's all the logistics. Like I was telling my husband, I'm like, yes, but when someone's performing in an opera company, they have to get permission <laughs> to sing anywhere else in town. You can't just go off and do concerts. So that was something we had to consider. But in any case, my husband bothered me <laughs> enough 
<laughs> that I was like, fine, let's try it. And I, I'd say bother me loving, lovingly because he's always the ideas guy and trying to get me going. And I tend to be more like, I have this way of doing things. Everything's fine. I don't have to shake it. <laughs> so uh, it just so happened that in November of 2019, I was rehearsing at the Met for Akhenaten. I was covering and going back and forth every day. And we decided let's try to do a house concert and let's ask some artists we know. And so uh, one artist that's always easy to get is me because I tend to either have a really low fee or be free. <laughs> a pianist friend of mine, Aurelian Eulert, who's head of music over at Opera Delaware, he and I had done a cabaret, you know, one woman cabaret, cabaret together. So I checked in with him to see what he want to play for some opera singers singing stuff. And he was available and he's really fun to work with in that way. So that was done. Then I was looking for like one more singer and I really wanted to have someone who was male or male representing to be a part of it. So I just started asking folks in the cast of Akhenaten who lived in Philly, interested and would want to do it because he was living in Philly at the time, but was booked elsewhere, couldn't do it. And Will Liverman was living in Philly at the time and was like, yeah. And I was like, I mean, literally my approach to Will in the middle of a break for Akhenaten rehearsal while people are throwing juggling balls around, I walked up to him and was like, hey, Will, you live in Philly right now. Yeah, yeah. He was like, would you want to come and do a house concert at our place for basically no money and just like sing for people for like no money, but maybe I'll pay you in wine or something. And he was like, yeah, I love doing that kind of thing. So what really happened is that I lucked out to have him be able to be available. And our really lovely friend and soprano, Ashley Marie Robillard, who is, I think at that time, still finishing studies, at, uh, her master's at Curtis and has sung Musetta at Opera Philadelphia and Papagena and has since been performing regionally and doing great. The three of us did our deal and we packed the house with 40 people. Somehow we managed to squeeze them all in pre-COVID. No one was worried. And that was the beginning. That was a long story to oh, Yeah. No, it's awesome. It's awesome to just like hear the genesis of projects like this because I think a lot of times singers, we have ideas too. Yeah. And we know how to do the singing piece, but we don't know how to do the other things. And so like it's always very I think it's very helpful to me and also to our listeners, you know, to like hear from people like, yeah, I just kind of like started to use the connections I had and I figured it out and found out it wasn't actually as hard as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. yeah. People are, people are usually willing to be very generous with their time and creativity because we're all like craving that way to connect with our audience better. Yeah. There's something that, I mean, I, I say this to people all the time to the point that like people who, you know, like my mom or my husband or people who know me well and they probably get tired of hearing it but a, a friend a singer friend of mine back when I was still kind of bridging the young artist and full-time soloist world mezzo soprano Corby Myrick Corby you know we're sitting in the auditorium for tech week at Tulsa Opera and I was doing a small role it probably was in the magic flute at the time and I had just gotten an offer to do the last young artist program I would ever do, which was a year at Florida Grand Opera. And I was trying to negotiate my housing with them, just kind of a few things I wanted for myself, like to be able to have a, an apartment for myself and not necessarily have to share with another artist just for sanity reasons. And, and I was like, oh, but I couldn't ask that. Like, I wouldn't want them to get mad at me. And she was like, what are you talking about? And she said, asking for what you want greatly increases your chance of getting it. <laughs> statement it's not new information but the way that she stated it and for me at the point I was in my career it was like oh 
like you have to ask. And so like, sometimes I still don't ask when I simply could, but in that situation with Will, like he could have told me no with, with Ashley, with, with Aurelian, with asking people to come in our home to hear a concert. Of course they could have not shown up, but yeah, more often than not, people surprise you with their openness, especially if you don't suck as a human. Like if you don't treat people poorly (laughs) or generally try to apologize when you do like, you know, uh, people are, people want to be involved and do things. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, right around the time you were starting EPOP, I was starting my little company here in Philadelphia and like kind of discovered the same thing. Like I had so many friends who are not in the arts, but like played an instrument in high school or sang in a choir or whatever, whose help, you know, I just started asking around. And I was like, hey, you seem good at like marketing and stuff. Would you be willing to volunteer some time as we like try to get this up and running? And so many of my friends were just like, oh my God. Yeah. Like I've always wanted to like help in on in the art sector because I care about it and I miss it. And, you know, like, so there's that angle too. And you just like never know where people are at and they feel so honored to be in, in like they feel an engagement then with yeah. the arts that they wouldn't, if they were just an audience member, they go from right. passive participation to active participation. Yeah. And I think that's very true. Like I see how that functions in my own household with my husband. Like he's so willing to volunteer his time for nothing or not a lot i mean to be a part of of not only what we're creating with epop but also like the work that he does with opera philadelphia and it's it's nice because it's really a way of like kind of expanding your world and getting to have that creative outlet and be a part of something in that way yes definitely Another thing that I wanted to ask you about with epop was the collaboration that you have within the neighborhood and I mean, you mentioned like the first concert is just like a concert in your home, but it's expanded to be much more than that in certain pro. And you've done, you know, a handful of projects from what I can see a lot of, you know, neighborhood businesses. What was that like to, you know, connect with people really that are not outside of the arts? Because we understand like the Opera Philly connection. Yeah. So, you know, the way that the that first house concert went, like it was, you know, we had friends, opera supporters and so forth were part of that audience. And that night we were like, you know, we're just trying this out. Let us know what you think. And we were literally asking them, is this something you'd want in the neighborhood or in, you know, in Philly in general, just just to have this kind of thing where maybe that we have other people host house concerts or we do things at cafes or whatever. Like, again, it's not a new idea, but we didn't have it here in this area. And folks said yes. And then the COVID hit. And I was like, whatever, I'm not doing anything here. COVID depression. And I kind of let it go. It wasn't thinking about going forward. And then all of 2020, when we still didn't have vaccines, but is that right? Mm-hmm. No, we did not. That's right. We still didn't have the vaccines yet, but it was kind of like people were realizing, okay, I can be outside and be a certain distance for people and it's okay. We ran into a business owner on East Passyunk Avenue here where we live who was like, you should get in touch with a guy who's executive director of the East Passyunk Avenue Business Improvement District because they're they're trying to do things and you should, you know, you've got this group, you can like do some performances. So I got in touch with him and he was very excited because they were just ready to finally start doing outdoor performances. Mm. So we organized in like a month's time to have a concert at the Singing Fountain, which is kind of the central area there on the avenue to do an outdoor concert of opera hits and musical theater hits. 
for a small fee. It wasn't very much, but I, again, I called up a tenor friend of mine who lives in town who has sung in like La Boheme on Broadway. He's sung in theaters all over Europe and all around, plus writes his own music. And I was like, hey, how would you like to come and sing with me uh, for like 75 bucks? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and I paid the pianist a little more. I gave myself literally $25 to cover, you know, printing expenses and stuff. And, and we did this, we did this concert in October, 2020 and people came out, you know, they saw on social media, it was going to be happening and it was just so wonderful. So that's how we got into the, our local community and how it became something people knew about and the businesses along the avenue really kind of have taken us in. And I have a good friend who owns the Remax on East Passchunk Avenue. She saw us and has hired us to do things, has helped promote us and just really kind of, she's one of our biggest supporters at this point. Yeah, that's great. But that's that's just led to many things like doing love notes at Society Hill Dance Academy this year. You know, Shana, who owns Society Hill, really open to just letting us be a part of her space and letting us share that experience with her without us, you know, having to, I mean, we simply couldn't afford to pay what that space is worth to rent. And right. she made, made it possible for our arts organization to, to be there and to do a show that ended up, I mean, filling the space. It was so exciting. Yeah. So yeah, that's some, some of what we've done and more to come. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it great. just, it just highlights the, the importance of building relationship. Yeah. You know, yeah. like nothing, nothing about this, nothing about this career happens in a vacuum. Right. So what is next for EPOP? What's coming up? You know, we are, we, it's holiday season and that's something we started that first fall of 2020. We, after we did that October concert, we were asked to come and do caroling and, you know, so now it's not our main thing or we do, but it's something we come back to now for the third year in a row to, to do caroling for the community. So now we're doing that in two places on Black Friday. I've got a wonderful quartet who is going to be out at City Hall. Oh, awesome. Singing for the big Santa Express event. It's a big deal. We're super excited. Epop is the musical guest next to the ice rink. And Santa's going to arrive on Black Friday and Epop will be caroling. So we're really thrilled about that. And then we're back on East Pass Young Avenue for East Passchunk Avenue's Hot Chocolate Crawl on December 10th. <laughs> uh, it's so cool. It's the first time they've ever done this. I because they do the witch crawl, which is a craft beer crawl. And I I volunteered for that, like helping out the avenue, just like check people in and whatever. And it's so fun. And now they're like transferring this this similar idea to like hot chocolate Christmas on a Saturday during the day from like one to six when people are like shopping, having fun, kids are with you, and then our quartet's going to be singing and we're going to be popping around to different businesses along the avenue to just like be there. So that's the fun laid back stuff, not high stress. Yeah. Pleasant. Yeah. Um, we it. have our third anniversary house concert on the 14th of December. So that is kind of like a gala fundraising event for us. In addition to just inviting our supporters who've been there along the way to come back extremely limited seating because for the first time ever we're back in our home uh since so and then the most exciting thing we have on the docket is in 2023 in march uh, we will be at the kimmel center and again kind of wonderful serendipitous happenings that a friend of mine i ran into we had sung together he's now working in the kimmel kimmel center 
Kimmel Cultural Campus, I should say, and was talking to me that he's working in community projects. And so I was telling him about EPOP and got in contact with him and his boss who heads that division. And we're teaming up with a local band, a, a jazz band. They are kind of they're just not jazz the way you think of it. They're, they're mob blues, M-O-B-B-L-U-Z, if you want to look them up. Local six-person band. We're, we're friendly with them. My husband knows uh, the guitarist well. And we were, had been talking about them, about blending their sound, which is kind of like a boom-bop jazz. It's very special. <laughs> I just love what they do with opera. Or like, you know, taking like old standards and like, Taking old standards and redoing them in a jazz way is not necessarily new, but when you're using operatic voices and maybe throwing in really high notes or like taking the operatic aria and breaking that down and kind of presenting it in a jazzy sort of way. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. we're going to be doing that at the Kimmel Center, March 10th, 2023, and it's a multi-layered experience. It's part of their happy hour sessions. It's free. It'll be on the atrium stage. It's from 4 to 7 p.m. And Mob Blues, they have a, a beat maker DJ sampler within cool. their six-person band. And that's Omar. And he is going to DJ the evening. So he'll kind of start us out nice and easy with some DJ music. And then we're going to DJ music. I sound so on it, don't I? I'm amazing. I love me. I sometimes sound my age. Um, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> then we'll, you know, Mob Blues will will have a couple of sets of like Mob Blues playing their stuff, and then the collaborations between Epop and Mob Blues, and we'll fill those three hours. In addition to having an artist friend who's going to have a live installation of his his work uh, on view while we're performing. His art. I'm just going to throw these names out there in case anyone wants to look them up. Our artist. We'll find him and link him in the show notes for sure. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. So his name is Casey Grumman, and he has a wonderful street art aesthetic. He's just does some really cool stuff. And he's going to uh, have some representations of the musicians who are performing that day on display. Cool. And people will get to meet him as well. So it's kind of like a multi-art situation. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. That's amazing. I want to come to that for sure. <laughs> yeah, please do. I mean, I'm super excited about it. And and it's also like, it's kind of like mind bending because we're like thinking like we're literally creating the program and, and developing what it's going to sound like. As we yeah. Go. So, right, by, right. you know, we're, we're not quite sure what it is yet, but by March, we'll we'll have to know because we'll be. Prepared. Yeah, great. Right, right. That's yeah. so outside of the, the mindset that you, know, right. you normally have as an opera singer. Exactly. Sometimes we get stuck in our ideas and creations, not knowing the next step. We all have so much creativity to offer, but can get tied in knots with decisions and the need for approval. EM2 Connects Business is to help you get untangled and discover your creative identity and vision. Emily Martin and Elizabeth McDonald are the creators behind EM2. As ideators and performers, they have sung and taught worldwide. In the past few years, too many artists have asked them, what do I do next? What was their answer? Their answer was EM2 Connect. They are raising the collaboration to the power of two and on a mission to support, connect, educate, and inspire the arts community. From one-on-one coachings to creative collectives, 
They have the tools to help you make sense of your creativity. Head to their website at www.em2connect.com. That's www.em2connect.com to learn more about how you can build the creative world you want to live in. Yeah, that's so cool. And it's like jazz and opera. Like, look, listen, I, as a, I, you know, I'm sure you all know this as an opera singer, you're expected to show up day one of rehearsal. Everything's memorized. Everything's learned. You've coached it. You've made your decisions. Like, sure, of course, you're going to be amenable to the conductor and ideas there. But like, you're expected to really be ready to go. And you, everything is, what did Mozart say to do? You do that. And now we're going to take that with a group who like, they are su- obviously super comfortable with being extremely flexible. And we're talking about maybe sampling a line from an opera excuse me, from an opera aria and just playing with that one really cool line as a song rather right. than let's sing, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 It's a so, totally different sound. I'm sure. Yeah. Is there, are you working with like a music director uh, that is in that or are you like creating it with them or? We're creating it together. So it's us. We are the music directors. We are, we're doing it all. But so for this event, there'll be two vocalists from EPOP. Our friend Jesus Garcia, tenor, wonderful, wonderful tenor, but also writes his own music and crosses over in that way because the music he writes is not opera. So he's really amenable, flexible in that way. And I think will be wonderful in this project. And then me, because guess what? I'm available and I'm free. (laughs) And it's like, sounds really fun to try. (laughs) I do pay myself, but I also feel like it works well for me to do this because I am available to be a part of the development process and give lots of hours of my time without concern. And I have done a lot of crossover work myself. Yeah. Musical theater and stuff. So I will, let's hope that I can also be flexible. But mm. within the band, there's MD, who's kind of heads heads everything. And she's drums. She she does everything. Uh, that we have a guitarist. We have a, a bass guitarist. We have Omar, who is uh, the beat maker and sampler. We have pianist, Dan. And then we have Winds. And so that's like sax, uh, soprano sax, flute, et cetera. So it's a really cool sound. Big, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll all be getting together to kind of figure out what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do you like being in this role as the admin? You know, of course, the singing, you know, it's something you do, uh, you know, outside of EPOPs. How do you like doing the admin part of EPOPs? Generally, I like it all. I mean, the thing is, some days I get like, ugh, because it's not, some parts of it simply aren't just, aren't creative. Or yeah. Active. And so it can get a little tedious. But on the other hand, I'm generally a really organized person. And had, <laughs> I once had this dude I was dating tell me, because he dated opera singers, but he wasn't one. He was studying to be a doctor. And I'm, I'm okay with saying this. Um, <laughs> Um, (laughs) I never was so mad at someone like, I'm like barely dating this guy living in New York. And like, he's like, yeah, you know, I don't know if you could be a good opera singer. I mean, you're too, like, you're too organized, everything. And you kind of have to be a little dumb to be like a great artist. You have to be a little, and I was like, this guy studying to be a doctor. And I was like, fuck you, dude. Like, (laughs) really? I mean, I really said that across the table to him. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And I was like. Yes, there are creative people. That's absolutely true. Who aren't as 
skilled at life, you know, and it's times like, like paying bills on time or organizing things like there's truth that there's truth in that there, there's, there are creative personalities who are like, dude, I can't like someone else help me with this. And then there's people like me who could be organized. And yes, sometimes my analytical side and my overthinking as an artist, I've had to learn how to kind of shut that off so that it doesn't, that voice doesn't get in the way when I'm interpreting or whatever it is. But yeah, that pissed me off. Oh, yeah. It's just like, it's, it's like, <laughs> how did you hear that stereotype? I mean, I've definitely had teachers be yeah. like, you like say that stereotype to me because I'm an overthinker too. And they're exactly. like, you know, you have to be sometimes like, you just have to be a little dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's bullshit. And it's like, let me say this. And I, I'm not trying to say it's true. They have to be dumb. What I'm saying is it's the truth is that that part of the brain, that part of it's, it's a, it's all good. It's a gift to have that, mm -hmm. but there's like this, this kind of turning off or saying, okay, thank you. And I appreciate you for like trying to help me analyze this moment. But right now I'm just going to put you over here and we'll get back to you. Let's do right. that. Yeah. feeling an emotion or or whatever like kind of staying in the zone versus kind of getting taken off track right so like that's kind of taking us on a tangent away from like the administrative work I generally enjoy it sometimes it gets tedious and I got to step away but what I found not only through EPOP but also with ADA is that there's certain parts of the job that really feed me like during the pandemic ADA artists like we watched our you know, 80 plus artists lose 90% of their work in the course of a few days, like cancellation after cancellation coming in. And we were trying to remain relevant, not only for our, ourselves, the artists, you know, for the industry. So it was like, what can we do during this relatively quiet time? And so we got into doing things like uh, we did six episodes of you know, a video type show where it was like talking with people, interviewing them, question and answer. But also we did um, artist highlights once a week. So I, you know, we checked in with artists on the roster to say who wants to like be a part of a highlight. And so we, I would make videos of them answering questions about themselves. You know, they'd send me their raw footage and then I'd go in and edit it and put it all together with cute little sayings and whatever. <laughs> and so I was doing a lot of video editing and learning that for the first time during the pandemic. Yeah. I found that work to be really interesting. It is creative work too. So I was sitting on my butt and watching my butt expand left to right, but nevertheless, I felt in, inspired and creative. Yeah, that's great. That's really great to always find different ways to, I think, be creative too, and just find joy in other work that I think it helps fuel also your other facets, you know, every, every facet of life, including your singing. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, I feel like contrary to the age old wisdom, like just limiting yourself to your singing can also like limit your creativity. Yeah. I think totally. so. Cause this career is, uh, well, it's tough. I mean, it, you know, opera is not, you know, it's, it's extremely competitive. I mean, no matter what you do, like it, it kind of, as a singer, just like trying to have that career, you, you don't have control of how it's going to go. I mean, there are a lot of things we can control, but in the end, you can't necessarily make someone hire you, even if you are the best, you know, person they're, they're looking at for it, or you feel that you are, or you just know you are. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think certainly when I was coming out of grad school and stuff, the, the, 
idea was like, if you did other things, if you let people know you were doing other things, if you took side jobs or whatever, that it would diminish your quality and, and other people's eyes who are casting or agents or whatever. Gratefully, I really feel like that's changing. Yeah. I think the pandemic helped. I think even before that, that was changing because the, the fact is it's really hard to make a living just singing opera in the United States. Yeah. Or at least a living that is one that we strive to have. And I'm talking about, you know, being able to afford rent or a mortgage, have yeah. a vehicle if you need one where you live, pay yeah. for your health insurance yeah, and have a little money socked away for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe even have a dog or a child, you know, speaking of dogs. <laughs> that was perfect timing. Mine were like, she's talking about us. Yeah, right. <laughs> I just growled and I was like, she's about to run to the window and start barking, but not yet. It's really hard to like break, uh, to be perfectly honest, to break $100,000 a year in opera is really hard, really, really difficult. And so yeah. many people who are- Even if you're working all the time, even. Constantly, back-to-back right. gigs. I mean, I have had years where I literally back-to-back-to-back you know, from one month to the next, going city to city. And, you know, it's tough for opera companies to pay a lot, especially regional American companies. It's tough for the big ones to pay a lot, but they're, they're frankly, they're required to because we have unions and it's good that we do, but they're all working really hard to be able to have the money to pay us. And they're having to constantly fundraise. It's the system is, the system needs help. And that's a whole other discussion. But, you know, so I absolutely am a proponent of doing what you need to do to have a full, well-rounded life and still sing. Yes. Okay. I have like a few questions rolling around in my head. So like, which one should I ask? I definitely want to hear about Ahanan and how that experience was. I don't know if that was your first time. Well, you'd, I'm not sure about your Met roles, but I, that show was just like, I didn't get to see it, but just the buzz around it and, and Marcel saw Marcel, you I've, saw it. I've right? seen it multiple times. Like I I am a Philip Glass is like my happy place. If yeah. I could ever get to sing Philip Glass, I think I would be like, if I never sang anything again, I'd be happy. <laughs> <laughs> but we also had Zach. Zach was on the podcast last season and talked about Aknaton too. So it'd be really interesting to hear from oh, him. Sure. Yeah. What was it like? How was it? Yeah. Uh, I'd love to tell you, but I have to ask, what did you see it uh, both in 2019? Did you also see it again? Yeah. So in 2019, I saw it right before the pandemic in yeah. HD. Yeah. Okay. And that, which was really cool. And then I saw it last year in the in the house. I was there. Oh my god! Yay! Thanks for that one. Amazing. You saw me. I had blue hair. You probably. Yeah. I was one of those people that all look the same with blue hair and white dresses. Yeah. So uh, my friend Lindsay was is also in that production. Lindsay. So you, I, Lindsay Ozzy has performed with me at Opera Delaware a couple of times. Or rather, yeah. I performed with her. She was always the main stage artist, and I was like covering. But yeah, yeah. such <laughs> a great ad- colleague. I adore her. I have to say, if you want like people who are great colleagues and treat people well and make everyone feel a part, like Lindsay, right there. Yeah, she's also that. a D and D nerd, as am I. So like, oh, yeah. <laughs> we have a D and D nerd here in the house. I tried, but I I, I left our group because I was like, I love fantasy, but I was like, anyway, I <laughs> maybe I just need to try again. But in any case. Akhenaten has got to be one of the top experiences of my life as a performer in terms of just the production, the feeling, the camaraderie, everything. Before that, I'm just going to say, because it, um, the direct, okay, 
I have to say this because the director of this other show that was my top uh, experience until then passed away. Tomas Pandur was his name. And I was in a show called From the House of the Dead or Zmrt Vehodomu in Czech. Uh, it was a Janacek opera in, in uh, Berlin, not in Berlin, uh, not in Berlin, excuse me, in Bonn, Germany. And that was, that was a while ago. But it was one of the most, it was, it's, it's that same element that Phelan brings to Akhenaten and the shows that he directs, this kind of ex extreme engagement level from the singers, uh, from all artists involved. It's kind of this, that you really buy into the show so much. It's, there's not a question <laughs> of, uh, of the reality being real for you. Like, and it was such a weird show that, uh, from the House of the Dead. But in any, in any case, it just was very special. And then Tomas, uh, he died. Uh, in the middle of directing another show, he was literally directing people and, and died, I believe, on stage. A wonderful, wonderful human being and crazy. He was freaking crazy. But I just I need to talk <laughs> about him so that if anyone wants to look him up, T-O-M-A-S or Z. We'll link it. We'll link it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, in any case, Akhenaten, uh, it was the second thing I'd done at the Met. So the year before in 2018, I got to come in and cover one of the nuns, Swear Dolcina and Swear Angelica. It was great. It's so cool to be a part of the Met after all these years of knocking on the door and auditioning and to be invited to cover was super great. And it was the experience that I had been told it would be that you get to the Met and it's a machine and if you're covering, you don't feel much a part of things, but it's cool. And, you know, because if Swarangelica was part of the Tritico, they were not only rehearsing our one show, they were rehearsing three. So they had to crams were Angelica up into a rehearsal room on the fifth floor, which is small. So they said, we can't have the covers in the room while we're rehearsing. It's too tight. You can come when, once we get to stage and you'll have your cover rehearsals to figure out. So we were there for day one to sing through. And then we weren't there for like a week and a half or two while they were staging. And it just felt like, okay, I guess I'm a part of the Met. Yeah. Right. So it was this separate kind of feeling. And in the end, it was nice. We came together. We got to be, you know, watch rehearsals and stuff. And it was fine. And then I was invited, gratefully, to come back to cover uh, Maritotten and Akhenaten the following year. And I didn't know what it would be like. I knew I was excited that I was going to see some friends like Anthony Rothkostanzo was there. And he and I were young artists together at Glimmer Glass. You know, other folks that I knew in the cast already. Super excited to get to be a part of it. But it was on day one of rehearsal that I was like, oh, this is very different. So Phelan McDermott, who directed, just brings this teamwork, connective type energy to everything he does. And day one, we come in and there's a circle of chairs in the big sea uh, level stage, you know, 40 plus chairs. And we all sit in those chairs facing each other. and learn very quickly that this has how this works like pretty much every rehearsal begins and possibly ends with a circle and doesn't matter if it takes 20 minutes 30 minutes 45 minutes they do a check-in so he had this special little beautiful stone that he he said you know i'm going to pass this around just uh for this first day tell us your name what you're doing here what position you have in this in this 
work and uh, a little bit of something else, like how you're feeling, what's going on, whatever. And so we start doing this. And on day one, you know, a colleague, you know, everyone's saying their little bit, you know, oh, traffic was whatever, whatever it is. Oh, I'm here. I'm a pianist. I'm this, I'm that. And, you know, a colleague had just lost his father. And day one, he's like, I'm so amazed and excited to be here. I'm covering such and such role, but I am dealing with extreme grief. My father died two weeks ago, and I know he would have wanted me to be here, but I am struggling. And he was emotional. And we were just like locked in. And he was our guy, like we're all here together. So we're spending a first 45 minutes of day one doing that. Then later we had, I, I might get the order off, but we had, you know, the production meeting. We got to hear about what it's going to be. And then we spent, I think it was all the latter half of that day doing acting exercises where all the singers, all the covers, the coaches and pianists, if they wanted to be involved, conductor and assistant, if they wanted to be involved, were all up on our feet doing like various styles of acting exercises. And like, it was just so fun. It was like back in drama class, you know? Like, right. Yeah. But what, what was interesting is it builds this kind of continuity and teamwork and then suddenly like we'd be doing something because he's telling us to to imagine we're floating or imagine we're flying and and to react with each other that way and you have 40 people in a room doing this stuff like filling the space and suddenly he would signal to one of the pianists to go and play to certain pages from the piece and suddenly he's like now just let this kind of mold you into a picture a picture uh, let's do a picture of wanting or like he would just put a something in the air and suddenly we were in the piece and we hadn't even staged anything yet, but suddenly we're getting the feel of what this opera was going to be. Mm -hmm. And the people who had worked with him before, they knew, they knew. And, they were, <laughs> yeah. and you know, then I think day two is when we got to have the half a day on juggling with yeah. the, the juggling troupe. Like we got to be in a big room of 40 people learning how to do some basic juggling moves. And yes, eventually we got into staging, but that that was how that work process went and it was wonderful yeah. and it translates 100 percent to what you saw on stage what you see in film what you you know to the fact that we made history with the revival this past year and that we sold out two shows and apparently i guess no other met revival had sold out shows before and we did that and it's not like you know it was because there's something that's palpable when you create that kind of I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. And I'm just like remembering being in the house. I mean, I felt this way in the theater too. Like it was this transformative yeah. performance to experience, but also just like, it was so clear that like you all were breathing together. Yeah. yeah. And like the audience ends up breathing with you. Like it mm -hmm. felt, I felt like for the first time that um, study where they, they figured out that like people who attend live music performances, particularly classical music, their heartbeats sync up oh, yeah. yeah, because of the electrical magnetic fields that are created. And I felt like for the first time in a, in a space as big as the Met, like I could feel that happening. Wow. And those like three hours or however long that opera is like just flew by. Yeah. That's so cool. Whoever thought it last, but like, you know, minimalist music doesn't feel like boring and like taking forever. No, like it's amazing. It's yeah. and moving so slowly on stage. You think people would be like, Oh, come on. But there's just something so magnetic and mm -hmm. yeah. really cool. Wow. 
Thank you for sharing that experience. You're yeah, it's amazing. I'm so amazing. it's so cool to like get that behind the scenes peek. Yeah. yeah. I would yeah. totally love to do that show again. And and you know, it has a life and and maybe, you know, everyone was try- the the jugglers were like trying to create a, a little rumor that it was going to be coming back <laughs> like next season, but hopefully it will be coming back and we'll see how that all goes when it does. Um, yeah. But yeah. I would, I would love to get to do it again. I mean, vocally it's fine. It's not, you're not showing off a lot. It's you're singing some vowels, but it's, it's so much more than that. It's the complete experience, you know, right. mm-hmm. uh, which right. is kind of better than trying to, you know, try not to, <laughs> shit your pants from fear trying to sing a bunch of colored turn notes let me just tell you <laughs> but like there's something about like not having me and it's like oh my god can I sing this moment versus okay. like of course like this evocally it's not easy and memory wise you know of course like glass isn't easy it's I'm not trying to say that it's just different but to be in such a space where you're like yeah everyone has to, you're like so fully able to be fully present yeah that's what it felt like to me as an audience yeah. member it was like the, everyone on the stage was so present. And you can't not be, because if you're not present for half a second, you'll get lost and you'll fuck up the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. That's another part of it. Like that's just not only like the, 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 the way that we rehearsed it, the way that that teamwork thing was happening. It's like literally Philip Glass's music requires that kind of being in the moment and being present and always being here now. You yeah. can't not be. Yeah. <laughs> that's so incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information, all this like story about you and a little peek into your your life as a whatever so-called opera singer, as we like to say. <laughs> um, yeah, such yeah, a so pleasure to talk if with our, you. If our um, audience wants to connect with you or find out more about what you're doing, how can they best do that? Mm, there's a few ways. I got a website. It's katrinathurman.com. Uh, we have East Pat's Young Opera Project, which I know you'll link that and you can see what we're doing here locally. And yeah, I'm also, I've got a manager who I am managed by and work for, ADA Artist Management. So you can read about my career there and also kind of just see what ADA is doing because I do help uh, promote their singers and get the word out about everybody on the roster there. So yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the My So-Called Opera Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us keep making more, because this content creation shit ain't free, y'all, you can show us some love by rating and reviewing the podcast. This helps get the word out to more badass artists. Share with a friend. Word of mouth is the best advertising and a free way to support us. Double win for empowering your colleagues and being a responsible follower. Buy us a coffee. Fuel our coffee obsession and our Instagram live coffee chats with a one-time donation of any amount. Or bust that starving artist myth by becoming a sustaining Patreon member. This option is so impactful to the ongoing creation of our podcast that we offer you early access to ad-free episodes and more. You can become a member for as little as $3 a month. Still can't get enough of us and want to add your voice to the conversation? Join us over on Instagram at Podcast. This podcast is edited by Joshua Wise and produced and hosted by Elise Mark and Marcel McGurk.
we are thrilled to have the Sparkle Twins as continuing sponsors for season four. Sharice and Sharicia Williams are identical twin sopranos from Brooklyn, New York, who began their business by creating customized Swarovski crystal-covered shoes for their fellow divas. Their business expanded pre-COVID to include mouth masks for musicians. In addition to protecting yourself from unwanted germs and conversations, the masks have cute phrases on them like, keeping my germs to myself, or I am on vocal rest. To check out their full line of products, visit www.sopranotwins.com forward slash shop and follow them on socials at the Sparkle Twins.